This book, this week, I picked up a book I've been reading on the diocesan priest. You'd think I would have figured it out by now after 10 years, but there's always something to learn. As I was reading, I was really convicted in heart about a couple of things of, of how I've lived as a diocesan priest throughout my 10 plus years now uh, serving here in our diocese. And I was sharing this with a brother priest uh, about the things that I had done poorly in the past and, and uh, that I need to, to kind of go back and to rebuild in, in my relationships with others. Uh, and part of this was I was just reflecting upon these things and, and he responded, Brent, I'm struck by how often the things that change you are just things you read in books. And I was like, well, why would it not? You know, so of course you read things in books and they change you, right? And that's my, that's my presumption, growing up in a house full of people that always read books, there was always a book around, there was always a book at someone's side table. It was a normal thing to read in my house, and so it's normal for me to think as such. But it's also in our culture as a recognition, and in a number of places, individuals have pointed out that, that the things that we read do shape our lives. I was, uh, I think one popular evangelist talked about, if you show me the books that you have on your shelf that you intend to read this year, I'll tell you the type of person you will become. There's this reality that the things we read do change us. They do something to us. Just the same as the company that we keep, the friends and family around us, they do something to us. They change us. We become more like them and they like us. So also the things we read. And while there are many books that can be transformative for us, that can provide great insights, encouragement in the spiritual life, or just human life in general, there's one particular book that is given to us that has power above all of these, and it is the sacred scriptures, the Holy Bible. It is this book that, above all, is the inspired Word of God, Whereas the others, indeed, can be inspired by the Lord in writing certain things, they can have great, great insight into particular, particular mysteries or spiritual realities, it is only the sacred scriptures that are actually God's Word itself, that are truly inspired in a unique way by the Holy Spirit. This third Sunday, since 2019, has been dedicated by Pope Francis as the Sunday of the Word of God a Sunday particularly to encourage us in our devotion to reading and spending time with the sacred scriptures. While we can look at it in context of liturgy, the recent weeks, seeing the, uh, of how an Advent season full of the prophets speaking thus says the Lord, giving us the Lord's words themselves, having Our Lady set before our eyes in recent weeks as the model of pondering all of these things in our heart, Today we also have the scriptures themselves that speak to us of the richness of the Word of God, the power of the Word of God. We start in Nehemiah, the story of the great, the great reading of the law. It can seem as if it's a, a sort of normal Sunday. Ezra the priest, he climbs up into his, into his wooden pulpit and there he, you know, he speaks the word of God and he explains it a bit and the people are, people are they weep, you know, because his, his homily was just that amazing that Sunday, huh? And then, he, you know, everyone prostrates themselves. It's a little bit different than what y'all normally do at the end of the gospel. But, you know, it, it can seem as if it's kind of a normal reading of the, of the word. But if we understand it as that, we miss the entire context of what has taken place, the reality of what is happening. The people weep not because of Ezra's words, but because of the words of the Lord that are being spoken. 
You see, this the account of Nehemiah, this reading that we just heard a moment ago, is the coming back from the exile. It's the people returning to Israel to rebuild the temple. The exile had taken place. And if you recall, when they would come to exile, when a, company, when, when a, when a foreign power would come and conquer uh, a local place, it was common practice that they would divide them up around the empire. So rather than just kind of keeping everyone there or moving everyone away, you split up into small groups and you divide everyone all over the place so that they can't gather back together, so they can't, you know, can't stage a coup and, and, and have a rebellion and overthrow the, the local government, so that they can't essentially live their own culture. You destroy everything that they have, and you immerse them in the cultures of the world which you choose. And this was what exile meant. It was a destruction of everything that you knew. When they were sent away, when they were exiled to foreign countries, there wasn't a synagogue there. There wasn't a temple there. There wasn't a community of people faithful to the law there. Very often an individual would would do their best to be able to live the things of God as they remembered them and, and, and understood them. But in the doing so, they would lose things. They would forget things. As these exiles, by God's providence, were brought back, they were coming to rebuild the temple and to come back together and to rebuild the culture that they knew, to try to rebuild something of what they had before. So they were working on the temple. And in the midst of the temple, they found something that was striking to them. And anyone who's ever renovated a house has likely had a similar experience to a much less uh, importance. Oftentimes, you'll, whenever you open up the walls of a house when you're renovating something, you'll find some guy's Coke can that he put in there, and then they just put the sheetrock on top of it and moved on with life. The fact is, whenever they were rebuilding the temple, they found not a Coke can, as if that were to exist 2,000, 3,000 years ago. They found a book of the law. They found the scroll, what was presumably the book of Deuteronomy. And whenever they read it, they said, you know, kind of, what is this? And as they looked over it, they were, they, they were struck that this is God's law. And we forgot it. We didn't have it. But here it is. And thus, Nehemiah, His Excellency, calls everyone together, everyone who can understand the words that are spoken, the women, men, men, women, and children of, a, of the age of understanding, all of them are gathered together. And this is where we understand that Ezra is given the high pulpit, and he proclaims the word. And, the, and when the people hear it, they weep, because they weep because they have not followed the law. They weep because they're hearing things that they never even knew. The law of God had been given to them, and they lost it, and they mourn it. But they also weep because of joy, because it has been found. That's what Ezra also concludes is this is not a time for weeping, this is a time for rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord. It's to rejoice because his word has been found. Even even though it had been lost, even though the law had been broken, now we understand it again. We see it again. We can hear his voice again. And we can follow this law that has been given to us. This law that is the, the path of salvation. It is the means to attain eternal joy. Understanding these things, they weep, not for sorrow, not necessarily entirely out of repentance, but out of joy. They have received the word of God, and thus they stand for it. They prostrate themselves at the end of the hearing of it, and they sing praises to God. Amen, amen, as it is proclaimed.
is a reception of the law that the people celebrated that day. And it's for us to understand and to experience the same joy for ourselves. That there are often times whenever we hear the word that is spoken to us, when we hear the scriptures that are proclaimed, or sometimes the homily that is breaking them open to make them, uh, to make them kind of uh, more clear in their full understanding, it's this fact that there are times when we should weep because we recognize the things that are being spoken, I am not doing. The law of God that has been presented to me, I have forgotten. But also we should weep with rejoicing because the Lord still speaks to us, because his word has still been given to us, and he still reveals himself to us, still comes down to us individually to speak to us, to convey something of himself, something of his own will, to speak truth to us. This also is what St. Luke was rejoicing in as he was writing to the most excellent Theophilus. This is the beginning of the, of the Gospel of Luke, and he starts in a kind of non-traditional manner. Usually we start with understanding something about our Lord, Our Lady, St. John the Baptist, but here it's none of these things. Rather, the, the Gospel passage, it begins simply with St. Luke saying, you know, Theophilus, um, we know that there have been other accounts of things that have been recorded in the life of our Lord. In other words, we have Matthew and Mark's Gospels that have been written already, so we have those, and I've, I want to gather together with them as well as the other resources that I have, namely the testimony of Our Lady, which is unique to St. Luke's Gospel, and the, and the preaching and teachings of St. Paul, which also are, are rather unique to him. St. Luke was the writing, the preaching of St. Paul. So he said, I want to gather all of these things together to present to you an accurate historical account of the truth of all of these things. What St. Luke is writing to us is he is reminding us that every word of the Gospels that are given to us are facts. They are truths given to us. They're not fairy tales. They're not kind of nice little stories that are to be of encouragement. They're things that we can trust, that we can honestly believe, that we know the words that our Lord have been given to us because they have been written down. Sadly, contemporary scholarship even uh, seeks to deny some of these things. Many of the Protestant scholars of the 20th century, and even some Catholic ones, put radical doubt in the things of the gospel, such that we, we, you know, we don't really know exactly what was said because we didn't have a voice recorder there. We didn't have a video recorder to see actually what was taking place, so we can't really trust the things that are said here. At which point, why even have a gospel? Because if we don't know if it's actually what Jesus said, what does it matter? If it's just some guy's thought who happened to know Jesus, it's useless to us. But that's not the case. St. Luke tells us very clearly these are truthful things. They are all accurate. That is the reality that has been set forth, and multiple accounts attest to it. And then he continues on with the proclamation of his own gospel. Interestingly, today's gospel jumps from chapter 1 to chapter 4, because uh, we skip all the nativity and all the, the things of John the Baptist and that because we've just read them in recent weeks. But it goes to our blessed Lord, who there speaks the word of the Lord as he, as he, calls, to, as he calls up the prophet Isaiah in the scroll. He's able to, to bring forth that passage and to let people know that this passage is fulfilled in your hearing, that the things of God, the prophets of old, when they prophesied, these things come true, even if it takes 700 years to get there. It is true. The Lord loves you, and he's continuing to give you the gift of himself in these words. 
He comes in his goodness and his mercy. It is the goodness of the word of God that the Lord desires to impart to us, to recognize that he still speaks, that it's not a word confined to people 2,000 years ago or written only to a particular community as if the community of Ephesus is entirely different than the rest of us. It applies to each and all. As we celebrated just this past Monday, the feast of St. Anthony of the Desert, Anthony who was wrestling with, with what to do, what is God's will for me? And he was contemplating these things and, and was, was feeling drawn to, 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 to strip himself of some of the things of the world so as to follow our Lord more, more closely. And he was trying to say, should I do these things? What, you know, what is it, Lord, that you would have me do to follow you better? And he went to Mass, and the gospel of the day was, if you would be perfect, sell what you have and follow me. Nice and clear. Thank you, Lord. And so Anthony, taking this as God's word to him, a response to his prayer that day, he went home and sold most of what he had. He set aside a good bit uh, you know, to, be able to, uh, to be able to serve the poor, and he gave, kept a little bit for himself so as to be able to care for himself and his little sister. But he felt, he felt a, a, a twinge that this wasn't exactly God's will. Right? You know, the Lord said, so all that you have, and yet it seems he's kept a little bit. What should I do, Lord? And he was wrestling with this. How do, how do I take care of my little sister and, 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 and still give you everything? And so he went to Mass once again, and that day it was proclaimed in the gospel, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Again, the word of the Lord spoke to Anthony, and he went home, sold all the rest that he had, gave everything away, and trusted his, his little sister to some women who were able to care for her, probably better than he himself could, and then he went off and made his home in the desert and became St. Anthony of the Desert, one of the, the great desert fathers and one of the greatest, uh, greatest saints in the history of the early church. Because he heard the word of God and understood that it was actually the Lord's voice that speaks. It wasn't just a nice thought, a nice happy coincidence, but it's the Lord who still speaks through the sacred scriptures. St. Anthony is not unique. Numerous saints through the history of the church have had very similar experiences, and I'd be willing to bet that many of you have had some of them as well. Of praying with the sacred scriptures when something spoke to your heart, pierced your heart in a way that you wouldn't have expected otherwise, and direct response to a plea, to a prayer that was offered up to the heavens. It's the word of God that still speaks, and thus we are to listen. It's to ensure that we make a place for the regular reading and encounter with the word of the Lord. Not only do we hear it at Mass, wherein we can come and, and, and be immersed in it and, and receive it in almost its fullness in the course of two or three years' time, but also for us to encounter it individually as well as in groups. To be able to spend time praying with the Scriptures is a tremendous blessing. It presumes, first and foremost, that you have a Bible. It's a presumption that I often make, but then I realize is not always reality. It's for us to make sure that you have a book of, of the Holy Bible for yourself, a Catholic edition. I've got several editions, several of them are not Catholic from my good times as a little Methodist boy when I was given for my confirmation uh, the, the NIV and it has my name emboldened, you know, engraved on the front. I can't just toss that out, all right? But to make sure that there's a good Catholic edition in our home contains the fullness of the scriptures. And there we can understand the word of God. 
There are a variety of translations. We use the NAB, the New American Bible Translation, here at the Mass, so it's one that you'll be most familiar with. If you're reading, you'll say, ah, I heard that on Sunday, or I heard that. We hear that so often, so it, it, it resonates with us, so it's a familiar thing to us. So that may be one that, that is understandable for you. The RSV, the Revised Standard Version, Catholic Edition, is, is another version. It's often used with the Catechism and, and Vatican documents. Uh, it's a wonderful version as well, rather contemporary, uh, that is, is, is easily readable and understandable as much as the Scriptures and the Word of God can be. There's also, if you want to go a little bit more poetic, you can find Monsignor Ronald Knox's translation, the Knox translation of the Sacred Scriptures, who is, he was a man, a Scripture scholar, but also a, a, a master of language and, and a poet at that. And so the, the, the Knox translation of the Scriptures is tremendously beautiful in its poetry. As the Word of God comes alive and, 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 the, and the words that Monsignor Knox was able to use to speak the reality of the Word of God in its original languages. If you like the these, thys, thous, and all the sts at the end of words, you can happily go find your, uh, your edition of the Dewey Rames Bible, which translates the Latin Vulgate, which has been the, the official translation of the Scriptures for uh, 1,500 years or so, if you like tradition, um, right? And so uh, all, of these, all of these versions are available to us. You can go to the local Catholic bookstores, and they're right there waiting for you. Make sure you get one that you actually will read. This is the most important piece, is to actually read the thing. Because if we buy a translation, it is beautiful and poetic and understandable and relatable, but we never pick it up, it's useless to us. It's for us to pick up the Word of God and to spend time with it, to ponder these things in our hearts. And sometimes that takes a while. If you ever read the Scriptures and at first you go, I don't understand what that means, know that you're in good company, because very frequently, even our blessed Lord, who was rather clear on, on, on many occasions, there are a number of times in the gospel, you may recall, where after, after having given a parable or some sort of teaching, the disciples go back to the house and they're with our Lord and they go, so explain that to us, because we didn't really get it the first time around. If you struggle, it's okay. The first pope struggled too. You're in good company again. It's to chew on these things, however to spend time with them, to reflect upon them, to let them kind of soak in and a bit on us, to be able to ask questions of it. Why these things? Why did it say that? What, what does that really mean? Why is it important? Why is it contained here? Sometimes it can be helpful to have someone else to, to kind of give us a little, uh, to give us a little encouragement of these things, to be able to break it open for us. There are no shortage of Catholic commentaries and Scripture commentaries available these days. Uh, there's uh, Dr. Scott Hahn has his Ignatius Study Bible that's continuing to come out with all the books of the Sacred Scriptures. There's a Catholic commentary on Sacred Scripture where you can get, uh, you know, an individual book of the Bible uh, has its own individual uh, focus. If you, want to, if you want to dive really, really deep, there are some tremendous works that continue to come out about very small passages of the Bible. At the end of the Latin Mass, every Mass is read um, the, uh, the, the prologue of St. John's Gospel. It's the first 18 verses of St. John's Gospel. A book was released recently by Anthony Esselin that's a, an entire book on those 18 verses. It's 140 pages long on 18 verses of the Sacred Scriptures. If you ever think that you have plumbed the depths of the Sacred Word of God, think again. There is much much that is there, and there are countless resources that are available. We've got a number of things of Bible studies 
and various videos and audio things, uh, as well as books through the form.org. Our parish has signed up for that. It's all free for you to take. The people of ancient, of ancient days would love to have had what we possess today. And it's all right there available to us. All of it helps us to speak and to understand the word of the Lord that has been spoken to us, to be able to make sense of these things. Because in the end, the word of God and the, the sacred scriptures, they're a book of power because they're a book of unlike anything else that the world has ever seen. They are God's voice, living and effective, still speaking to hearts, still speaking to us every time we open it. It's for us to open the ears of our heart to be able to listen. And so as we offer this Holy Mass, we give thanks to God, just as the people of old gave thanks to God in hearing the word of God that was spoken to them. Though we may not today weep, we certainly can rejoice to give thanks to God for this tremendous gift, the word of himself spoken to us he who came down among us in flesh still comes to us in text in desires to speak his love in us. And so we give thanks to the Lord for these many graces and pray that we might increase in our devotion to the sacred word of God and the understanding of it, that we might continue to follow him to the path of eternity that awaits.